Do you see a lot of yourself in your autistic child? Today we detail where to go if you suspect you or your spouse may be autistic and what to expect in the diagnostic process. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. Hey everyone, welcome back after that short little break that we had. I hope you enjoyed that IRL episode and we are back. That's right. Hopefully it was a peaceful, quiet experience without us, (laughs) but not too quiet. Yes, we're very loud though, so (laughs) don't blame you guys. Um, So as you know, the theme this season is life on the spectrum. And the reason I chose that was obviously because of my recent bombshell discovery (laughs) self-discovery process of being officially diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder i think it's safe to say that it is level one um i wouldn't probably be able to run a charity and a podcast if it wasn't it's debatable (laughs) hey that's messed up (laughs) nah but you're probably right no (laughs) um and so what i wanted to do is first give you guys a little bit of a heads up of what to expect this season What I want to do is try to give you all a little bit of insight on how I experienced things, the things that kind of led to my autism diagnosis, because being able to understand those things and understand that, you know, it is autism has helped me gain a much better understanding and more insight into our girls, because now I feel like I can relate a lot more. Like now I have that knowledge that, okay, these things that are experiencing was autism. So now when they're experiencing similar things, I feel like I can be more empathetic or better at judging how to help them. So it's not just picking out the characteristics of our kids. It kind of goes deeper than that to like the mindset where you are able to put yourself in their shoes because there are certain situations that you yourself don't like just like they don't like. So it's kind of interesting to see how they kind of overlap and mesh together. Yes. And Matt is just so happy. I'm a, I'm a referee. I'm, I'm coming in to kind of ref <laughs> Surrounded not only by all women, but all autistic women. <laughs> I spent a lot of time in the garage. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. isn't finished and is full of packing oh, boxes. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, So yeah, my goal is basically to try to give you guys some insights and some tips and guidance based on this new perspective that I can share with you in terms of how certain things may feel for your child, how certain experiences might be for them. Of course, big disclaimer, again, not all autistics are the same. They don't experience things the same way every time. So my experience will not represent all autistic experiences, but it might show some insight as it's done for us and our girls. Right. So, I mean, depending on how you go about with like kind of the sensory items, so you might be oversensitive in one category that they might be undersensitive. But overall, I mean, I think you can kind of give a interesting perspective that some of us aren't able to catch on to. Today, what I want to do is just detail where you can go if you yourself suspect you or your spouse may be autistic. It would be important to talk about this because in the parent support group that I've been in and the messages and emails that I have received, there have been questions of how do I know if I'm autistic, if my child's autistic, or should I look into an assessment? I see a lot of similarities with my child. Is it autism? Is it something else? And 
there is a possibility of autism, but there's also the possibility of other neurodivergencies like ADHD or things that look similar to it. It's also possible that you could be falling in that in-between category of BAP. I mentioned this, I'm not sure which episode, but earlier in a season where I talked about BAP, which is kind of like the borderline between autistic officially and not quite neurotypical. It's like a blurry line in between, a gray area. And so a lot of parents might find themselves in that area. But for those of you who suspect you might be autistic, you see sensory challenges, you see maybe executive functioning challenges or things like that, and you're just curious and you really want to explore that, I'm going to dedicate this episode to those parents and let you know how I did that, what that process is, and where to go, and some tips on that. Given the nature of the topic and the fact that I was the only one that went through this assessment, Matt might be a little bit quieter in this episode. <laughs> if I don't have much to say, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so you guys are stuck with me. But, you know, if you have anything to say, sure, feel free. I'll throw that in. Yeah, go ahead. Two cents, wherever it's worth. <laughs> yeah. And so the first thing I want to talk about is where you can get these assessments. So if you are interested in pursuing an assessment, you basically have to go through the same process that you would with your child. So you have to go and find a psychologist. Honestly, you might have to look into a developmental psychologist because they specialize in autism. Some will assess adults, many will not. So it's a challenging route to find a doctor who's willing to do it. I hear that when it comes to local assessments, they're kind of few and far between. I did find one that was about 30 minutes from where I lived. So it is possible to find some that are able to do autism assessments in adults. If you are a female, if you're a mom listening to this, if you're looking for an autism assessment, I would look for somebody who specializes in autism in women specifically, ask them questions about their familiarity on how autism presents in women because it will present slightly different, especially with the higher functioning folks. And so that can make or break the difference on whether or not you will be found autistic or not on an assessment just because you might have a doctor who's not very aware of how it presents in women. I can give you two resources that is online. So if you're not able to find something that is local to your area, there are some online resources for you. Two places that you can check out are grasp.org, G-R-A-S-P dot O-R-G, and also embrace-autism.com. That's not us. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds very close. (laughs) Yes, but it is an organization that specializes in the diagnostic process. I believe they originated in Canada. Don't quote me on that, but I do think they still do assessments in the United States. Grasp.org, I believe, is limited to the United States. But again, don't quote me on that. I would just go to their website and check the details there. Now, in terms of the differences between these two, the primary difference that I found is that grasp.org is a nonprofit model. So the way that they do it is they don't accept insurances. So you would have to pay out of pocket, but that would count as a tax deductible donation. It's essentially considered a donation towards their nonprofit organization. So you can write it off when you do your taxes embrace-autism.com, I believe is just a standard for pay model, but I'm not exactly sure. Again, details are on their website, but those are two options for telehealth. So if you don't have anything in person locally available to you, those are available to you. Now, the other thing to consider is just like we went through the process with our kids, you know, there's that one to two year wait list when you're trying to get an autism assessment for your child. Unfortunately, the same goes for an adult assessment. If you're lucky enough to find somebody who's willing to do an adult assessment, those are going to be one to two year wait lists. However, 
I can also share with you that my technique for getting you through the other waitlist works and applies for the adult waitlist as well. And that is asking for a shortlist. So what I did is I did not see anywhere on the website, anywhere where it said that there was a shortlist available or anything like that. So a lot of these places do not advertise this and you have to go out of your way and ask. That's what I did. I sent an email and I was like, hey, I know that I'm scheduled for like a year and a half out, but am I able to be put on a shortlist? Is there any form of a shortlist that if somebody cancels, you can fill me in? They said, we don't have a shortlist officially, but if that's something you're happy to do, we're happy to do that for you. So I was able to, instead of wait a year and a half, which was my original appointment time, I was able to get assessed again within like four months. So it was the same thing that happened with our girls. I was able to repeat that for myself. That's just another technique to shorten that time if you are looking for an assessment as an adult. So while you're waiting, there are things that you can do to kind of pass the time a little bit. So I remember that we had both found a free screening questionnaire of sorts, actually multiple questionnaire surveys, which was on which Embrace-autism.com. They have multiple assessments. They're kind of like screeners. Right. So I, th- I think kinda- we actually did this prior to kind of you getting mm-hmm. on the list just to see if it was even worthwhile. We both took the test separately and then we kind of compared scores to see like, okay, how do we both fare in the projection of the different screening questions? Yeah. And it was actually really interesting because that was kind of my first red flag there because our scores are actually drastically different in a lot of these areas. Right. And I remember, because I remember you periodically would ask me like, how autistic do you think I am? Like one out of 10. And I think after we did that quiz, I was like, eh, it's probably like a nine out of 10. At Every point. quiz I took, the number would go higher that <laughs> right, you would say. Right, right. <laughs> And then it just like became like, Leah, you're probably autistic. So. And just to emphasize, like these quizzes, they are not diagnostic. So you cannot take these quizzes. And if it says, oh, you might be autistic, that does not actually mean you're autistic. It just means you have these traits that correlate with autism. It might be worth your time to go and get officially evaluated to see if this is something that you might have. And at least pointed us in the right direction, I would say. Yes, exactly. And so what we did is we we took those assessments and I found that my scores were drastically different enough from his and and they were very high on a, a lot of the ratings. So as I said, I got on the wait list and time actually went by pretty quickly because I was able to get on that short list. So it was only about three or four months before I got my first appointment. Now, the way that this appointment worked, and it works differently for different people, but I've spoken to a few people who've been diagnosed and the process did seem fairly similar across the board, typically made up of multiple appointments. And so for me, mine was three different appointments. They were each two weeks apart. And for each appointment, it was approximately three hours in length. So grand total, it was about nine hours of assessment. And for each of these appointments, we would do a different diagnostic. I think my final report showed that I had done about 10 or 11 different tests, diagnostic tests by the end of it. So what they do is they go through a bunch of different portions. One of the ones that they did for me was an IQ assessment. So that was fun. I actually got to see my IQ, which I didn't know what it was prior to that. Good news there. (laughs) (laughs) But the other things that they test are things like emotional intelligence. They test for certain like sensory things that they might ask you. These can be in like a feedback form where they'll send you like a sheet to bring home with a bunch of questions and you have to respond to it. You are able to bring any sort of like extra information if you want beforehand. I typed up a short email with my experiences and suspicions of my autistic traits. Nothing is short. (laughs) (laughs) It was how long? 
Like 12? Like 12, 12 or 16 like pages or something? About 12 to 16 pages, single space. That was probably my first red flag. <laughs> it, they probably didn't even need the test at that point. They're probably just like, okay, like, check. Apparently, Matt was like, no, 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 honey, when they say send some notes, they don't mean 16 pages, single space. And I was like, oh, oh, why didn't they just say that? <laughs> I was like, yeah, th- there's a little clue. bit of an autism red flag. <laughs> that was our clue. These assessments, basically, a majority of them were multiple choice questions. A lot of them were kind of like ranges, like ranging from like not a lot to a lot or not often to often. Some of these things were like, do you find yourself doing like ritualistic things or like, do you see things as either right or wrong? Basically testing for either sensory things or whether you see things in kind of black and white. And I think one of the questions that got to me was like the phrase like, he's under my skin or something like does that bother you yeah and i was like oh that's such a weird like i mean for me i was kind of like i don't i didn't really think of it like that because it's just like common like expressions that you might hear like old-timey ones but like i'm not sure how like how does that make yeah, you feel basically like, it, like does make that... your skin crawl or whatever yeah and now like, these questions are not that explicit like they're not going to explain to you like oh when we ask you this this means does your skin crawl that's it, it's not that explicit it basically just lists out questions and some of them are difficult to interpret so that's what your doctor is there for they're there to help you understand what the question's trying to get at there are some weird questions there that we're looking for whether or not you take things very literally Honestly, they're all kind of weird questions yeah, in why, general. That's why I thought it was interesting because it's just like kind of appeared to be like off the wall questions like you never really think of. Very interesting. There was basically a whole bunch of assessments. The IQ one, I remember the reason that they said that they test for IQ. One of them is because it helps determine a level if you are determined to be autistic. But the other one is they're looking for a correlation or like a pattern in verbal intellect versus logical intellect. It's kind of like comparing the two hemispheres of your brain and trying to see if they're in balance or if one is like way more advanced than the other. So typically what you see in a neurotypical person is that they'll be at about the same level. So if like you're really good at something, you're you're also really good at the other thing at about the same level in terms of verbal versus math versus whatever. But they say like with autistic individuals, usually you'll see that somebody's really good at one side, really advanced at one side. So maybe they're in like the 98th percentile with that. And then on the other side, they're not as good. So they might be like in the 30th percentile or the 50th percentile or even 70, but they'll see some sort of discrepancy between the two. So that's one of the reasons they do the IQ assessment along with a couple other assessments. If you do choose to proceed with an autism assessment, if you feel like this is something that resonates with you, I have a couple of recommendations. One of those is to make sure that when you do this assessment, you are being your full authentic self. That means if you do feel like in your everyday life, you're masking or you're trying to hide any stimming behaviors that you do normally in public, you're going to want to make sure that you don't do that to the best of your ability during these sessions. You're going to want to be as authentic to yourself as you can be because they will observe your behavior. They will see like what you're doing, how you're saying things, the inflection of your voice, all these things they will take a look at. And so it's important that you bring your whole authentic self because sometimes they catch on to things that we don't even realize. Like apparently one of the things they caught on with me was that my inflection and my tone is different, which I was like, oh, that's not good. I'm a podcaster. (laughs) (laughs) Just boring people to tears. Yeah. So if I talk weird, sorry, guys. Or is it an excuse to talk weird? (laughs) (laughs) I have a, what is this? Autistic privilege. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. 
Um, But no, in all seriousness, it was actually really helpful to go through that process. I learned a whole lot about myself. A lot of things started to make a lot of sense to me. And so if you feel like you are in a place that you think an assessment would make sense to you, I would probably go ahead and do it. Another thing to note is these assessments, as I mentioned earlier, are not typically covered by health insurance, so they can be pricey. I think the lowest cost that I've seen is about $600 out of pocket. I believe that was grasp.org that was doing that, but they can range, I think I've seen on average in my area, about $2,000 out of pocket. I have seen other people say that they are even more expensive, like $8,000 plus. So they are very, very, very expensive. So if this is something that you want to pursue, I would say don't pursue it if it's just a matter of curiosity, like you just want to know if you're autistic. I would only do it if you feel like you would benefit from any sort of accommodations. So like for me, I realized that I had a lot of difficulties that were very, very similar from job to job to job. I never knew that the struggles I was having was related to autism. I, I just thought it was like a communication issue. But in retrospect, I realized that the pattern that I had with those communication issues were actually all related to undiagnosed autism at the time. So for me, those accommodations are actually important and I do plan on using them in the future. Even if I don't actually use them immediately, they're in my back pocket in case I ever feel the need to whip them out <laughs> because I try to essentially not lean on them as much as possible. And if you're in a comfortable work environment where people are empathetic and understanding people in general, you might not even need them. But if you're in a work environment where you have people who aren't super empathetic and they, you know, look down on you because you say, hey, can you slow it down? I can't process what you're saying. Those are the areas where these accommodations might come in handy if you are experiencing that. So if you do ultimately go through that process and you go through those multiple assessments, at the end, they will do probably what happened with your own child during their diagnostic process. They will basically say, okay, we have suspicion that according to this data, we think you're autistic, but we're going to go back and crunch some numbers and write up a report that usually takes two weeks to get from your final assessment. And then they will give you an official report. They're very long reports. I think they're like, was it like 30 pages or so? It was pretty long. And they go into very, very, very close detail on these. They write down any of the observations they made during the assessment. They go over the reports in detail. They tell you why they think that you may be or may not be autistic, or it may be that instead they found that you had ADHD or anxiety or something else, or they might point you in the right direction of where to go following the assessment. If you are found to be autistic, they will give you next steps on what to do, essentially where to go for resources or what's available to you. And if you're not found to be autistic and perhaps they find something else or maybe they don't, they'll probably give you follow-up information in that category as well. For me, the process was very open. I had access to my doctor the whole time. They said I was free to email them throughout the process if I had any questions and they were available. So for me, it was a really pleasant experience and relaxed. I also felt very included. I felt like I was seen as like a neurodivergent person and not a broken person. And so that's another thing to look for in a doctor is try to understand their viewpoints. If you can tell by the way they're talking about autism or neurodivergence, you can kind of get an idea if they see it as something that is acceptable, (laughs) something that is innately part of you and, you know, more optimistic about it rather than the ones who see it as a problem or might talk about it in a negative of light, that will give you an idea too of whether or not you want to move forward with that person for the assessment. 
So now that I talked a little bit about that diagnostic process and what you guys can expect, I want to give you some of the pros. One of those is that I was able to get a lot of a self-awareness. I was able to explain a lot of things that I didn't really understand growing up. So a lot of struggles suddenly made sense to me. And the most important part for me is that now I do feel like I can relate to my kids on a much more meaningful, deeper level than I could before because of that awareness. But surprisingly, I think another thing that it did for me is I think, honestly, it really kind of helped out our communication issues in our marriage. Yeah, I would say that the report itself was very eye-opening of how to better make accommodations for you. (laughs) We can work through that. Uh, But no, all jokes aside, um, I think, honestly, it was helpful because it gave some perspective that some things have to be drawn out or like very like literal. If I need you to do something, I have to tell you. So if I'm like running to get groceries or something and I'm like, Hey babe, can you grab something for me? I have to like kind of tell you exactly like, Oh, can you do this while I'm gone? Just so we're on the same page of like getting things done. I think what it is, is you make suggestions or like, okay, to me, they're uh, suggestions. Yeah, no. Oh my gosh. It's- <laughs> it drives them crazy. So like, this is one of the issues that I have with like my black and white thinking is he'll make a suggestion. Like what's an example of something that you might hey. Suggest one that comes to mind. Okay, so I mean, me grocery shopping, I realized that I forgot my wallet at home. So I call you to say, Hey, is my wallet there? Because I might have lost it at the grocery store. And you're like, Yeah, it's sitting right here. So I race home to grab my wallet and then I run in and I'm like going to get my wallet. So I'd like walk through the house to get it rather than like you like handing it to me or like being there when I open the door or something to like speed things up a little bit. You know, it's funny is as you're saying that story, I'm thinking in my head, I was like, where is he going with this? What? So like, how could, so I, how that, could I have done? No, I was like, how could uh, I have done that wrong? And then you're like, rather than getting it for me, I was like, oh, is that what he wanted? <laughs> so th- there's like little things like that where it's like, if someone knows that, oh, you're in like a race for time because of whatever the situation is and they know what the situation is like, oh, they need X. Let me get X to them faster. I mean, there's not really a fault to you or anything because I never mentioned it. But like, unless I spell it out that I know I shouldn't be expecting it, essentially. Yeah, I think that's part of that, like, black and white, literal rigidity type of thinking. A lot of times you'll say things to me and because they're said in a statement, I assume they're a statement. Like, you're just pointing a fact out. But I don't understand that you're actually asking me to do something for you. Right. It, it's it's painful to, like, have to <laughs> spell it out. Like, it really is. Um, but if you spell it out, I'll uh, totally do it. Because, no, because, like... In general conversations, it's like a ununderstood just collaboration with someone or just a basic conversation. So it makes it weird to put like specific request in there, if that makes sense. <laughs> like, like you think it's weird that you have to explicitly request something on me rather than discreetly make some sort of statement that I then absorb through osmosis as a request. See, I, 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 love how you, I love how you describe it as like... Because that's how I experience it. It's like you, weird to you, me. Like even with like your hands, like you're... you're describing as like fairy (laughs) dust is like falling on top of you and it's like no like it's I mean, I understand. Okay. Yes. Like you're autistic. So I mean, as far as like understanding communication, my- <laughs> you're like, as far as understanding common sense, <laughs> right? No, I mean, not, not that bad, but just, um, the, yeah. So there's like, there's like a lot of little things where it's like, I'll say something, I'll notice that there's no action or anything on your end. And then I'll have to be like, ah, oh, do I state it as a like request or do I just do it myself? And sometimes I'm just like, I'm just going to do it myself. Cause it's too awkward. 
clearly there's like a lot of potential for miscommunications. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that I take things really literal. I don't really read between the lines if there's some hidden messaging there. Or if somebody doesn't outright explicitly ask me something, I just assume it's a statement, not a question or not actually expecting me to take an action. So that's some of the issues that we had run into. But since receiving that autism diagnosis, I think it's helped us out a ton. Now you don't just think I'm a horrible person, hopefully. (laughs) Right. But I mean, sometimes it's funny. So it'd be like me asking like, hey, babe, what do you want to drink? And you'll be like, why? And I'm like, (laughs) well, because I'm trying to get you a drink. Like, I'm not like doing like a survey of like your top five like beverages of like the summer or something. Actually, I noticed that happens a lot. You'll ask me a question and my reaction is like, why do you want to know that? Right. It's It's not like I'm like keeping a secret diary of what you're drinking for the day. I realize that is not a question of sort. Like, it is a question, but not like... It's like, I don't have the context of what's behind your brain as to why you're asking me that. So, like, I don't understand the context. And so, without that context, my answer would change. And so, like, for me, it's, like, harder. So, I'm like, wait, what are you asking? Right. So, sometimes, like, I'll get you, like, the wrong beverage because I'm like, oh, what do you want to drink? And you'll say, oh, soda. Then, like, it'll be like, oh, no, you wanted iced tea. And it's like, well, then say iced tea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so needless to say, the diagnosis has been very helpful with opening my eyes and our eyes to a lot of different things and nuances. And I want to dedicate this season to helping you guys understand what that's like so that we can help out our kiddos and hopefully help you get a little bit more insight into what your child may be experiencing and some tips on how to make it easier for them. I'm sure that communication is probably going to be an issue with them as well. Even if you have a higher functioning kiddo, as you can see, we still have communication difficulties because of autism. So there's still a lot to do in that area. We're here to help. And I hope you guys stick around. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. To review, we discussed how seeking an autism diagnosis as a parent may be beneficial for those who need accommodations, but may not be worth the cost otherwise. We also noted how you can beat the wait list by asking to be added to a short list. Lastly, we emphasize the tremendous value a parental autism diagnosis can have on understanding and accommodating your autistic child more authentically. Tune in next week as we discuss what it's like to experience black and white thinking and answer questions such as, why does my child take everything so literally? How can I better understand how they think? And what can I do to improve communication with them? This is Embracing Autism.